gospel lesson comes to us from the good news according to St. John, the 15th chapter. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. This is the gospel of our Lord. So here we are in Brooklyn, as you probably know. It astounds me to imagine sometimes that this used to be pristine wilderness, the entire city. You look at the skyline and you think, Not so many hundreds of years ago, this was pristine wilderness filled with flora and fauna and tribes of indigenous people, bounty, and then it became known as the land of brooks, brookland, and farms, because the soil, it turns out, was really, really good. And it's changed so much since those times, as you know, it's sort of trite to even say that. I wonder if any of you have uh, been able to try to make a garden in a backyard in Brooklyn or somewhere else. Anyone ever tried to do that? Raise your hand. Um, I'm sure not everyone's uh, situation or experience was exactly the same, but I've heard about this a lot. We tried a little bit one time and we gave up. Uh, But what happens is the soil back there, you can't just go on the surface and just like put in some seeds and see what happens, right? In fact, there's been so much industry over the years and so much building that you have to really go down deep and dig up and you might pull out stuff you don't even know. In our backyard, I know that our landlords, it was years and years and years of pigeon coops and all sorts of weird things back there. Uh, But people found uh, appliances and uh, all kinds of stuff. Of course, if you test for the soil, you might find all kinds of chemicals and it's a mess. If you want to make a garden in a backyard in Brooklyn after all of these years, you have to get beneath the surface, you have to dig deep down, and you have to remove a bunch of stuff, stuff that's getting in the way of the possibility of a crop, of fruit, 
of flourishing. You have to restore that soil, and only then can you plant. And of course, then you do all the gardening things that gardeners do to take care of their crops and protect it and to help the crops grow. I would suggest, and I probably don't need to convince you, that we live in a time and in a place in which there are many broken and buried things in our shared cultural yard. There is quite a bit of rubble that is left over. There is a lot of wreckage laying around. And we tend to skirt around on the surface of things. Notification after notification after notification, quick conversation, thin relationships, busyness, stuff to do, got to stay, got to hustle, got to pay rent. And it often seems that there is very little shared, true flourishing. That we live in a time characterized not by abundant harvest shared by all people, but instead by division, disintegration, and despair. You've heard a lot about the time of division that we live in, where everything is becoming more and more binary, more and more polar, and more and more us versus them. Division. A time of disintegration, where we don't know how things fit into the whole, what the purpose is, how they belong together, where we fit in, and we just find ourselves fractured into little pieces of our lives. And ultimately, because of these things, despair. Very little hope that our species might even be here in 50 years, whether that be through the environment or economic disaster or war. And the church in the middle of this, if you find yourself at some point in your life being a person of faith, a person who's called yourself a Christian, we know more than ever that the church is a mess. Very few of us and really none of our neighbors think the church is the answer to all of these problems. Even more sad, most of our neighbors, and sometimes us, don't even think the church has an answer. Not that it is the answer, but that it doesn't even have one to share. One writer who I've been reading some of, a really thoughtful writer and person of faith named Fred Bonson, he had this wonderful article in Harper's some years ago, and it's called The Gate of Heaven is Everywhere, and here's what he said. All happy religious families are alike. Each unhappy religious family is unhappy in its own way. The family of American Christianity has been unhappy for quite some time, so much so that it's hard for many of us to imagine that it could be otherwise. The past four years have brought these views into the open. He just wrote this at, during the last election cycle. He goes on to describe the division and disintegration and despair of American Christianities itself. He talks about the abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. He talks about uh, evangelical, evangelicalism's uh, uh, sort of cooperation with power and politics and coercion. And then he talks about just the kind of ennui and despair of the mainline Protestant churches as everyone alike goes through decline. He doesn't even mention what just came out this week. They have done new surveys and uh, new sort of, yeah, I guess surveys to show that within 10 years, American Christianity, Christianity itself in America will actually be a minority religion, less than 50% of the population, which just in the 90s, 90% of people would have claimed in some way to be Christian. The decline. Back to Fred Bonson, he goes on to describe it this way, and this will get us 
going here. He says, like the Kardashians, the American Christian family has become obsessed with its own profile. It has become faith as public spectacle, faith as political engagement, as a party affiliation, as reputation. Anything but faith as paradox, as mystery, as the hidden and seductive dance between spiritual desire and satiation, the prolonging of a hunger so alarmingly vast and yet so subtle that it disappears the moment it's made public. In early monastic Christianity, that hunger was acknowledged, this deep spiritual hunger he's talking about. It was acknowledged and channeled, given shape and form and expression. It was a kind of going deep in prayer which led first to an inner union with Christ and then to a deep engagement with the suffering of the world. What the early monks and the Christian mystics who followed sought was union, an intense experience of inwardness that is glaringly absent in what many of us get from American Christianity today. Perhaps this absence is the real reason for the mass exodus from churches. Perhaps it is not Christianity that many followers are disappointed in, but Christendom. If you were here last week, we have what we call fall kickoff, and we were preparing for this week. We had a potluck, hung out. And then we're preparing this week for our fall ministries where we get busy with things to do. And last week I spoke uh, this challenge to us as we get into this fall ministry season together and in our life together post-merge and possibly acquiring a building to renew. I encourage us to consider going deeper underneath the surface, beneath the questions of what are we doing and how are we doing it to questions of why are we doing this? Why are we here? What are you as a person for? What's your purpose? What's the point of this life? And I suggest that the point is to dig deeper to make a vital and living connection to God himself, abiding in his presence, becoming infused with his life, to find the deeper version of yourself that's not always just thinking and doing and busy, but this deeper well within you, this spring, as Jesus called it, this hunger to see that self be renewed more and more in the image of Jesus himself, becoming like him, becoming filled with his life so that you can connect to others and to the world and to give and to receive his life, his grace, and his gifts one to another. See, I believe people are thirsty and hungry for something mysterious and transcendent, for real life beneath the surface of all of this wreckage in our shared cultural yard. You remember Indiana Jones. Is it too early to spoil the ending? It's been enough time has gone by. They're looking for the Ark of the Covenant, of course. That's what they're about, searching to find this place that held in the Old Testament temple the sacraments of the Old Testament church, and then perhaps the chalice that Christ himself used. They're looking for these sorts of treasures. And people have really done this throughout history. They've really gone searching for the chalice that Christ used at the Last Supper, for the Ark of the Covenant. They've looked in Israel. They've looked in Babylon, which is Iraq today. They looked in Britain, the Knights of the Templars. They've looked in Ethiopia in Lalibela and other places. Go read these accounts. It's fascinating. 
But you can find TV shows now, treasure hunters, people searching for treasure. Perhaps you're one of the people who walk around on the beach just looking to see if you can find a watch or a ring that fell off. We go and we dig up ground looking to find treasure. We are searching. And for what? Were they searching for a box? The ark, a box, maybe with some stale bread and a walking cane in it? Or does it suggest that deep down we are meant to be on a quest? We are meant to be seekers and searchers. And perhaps what we are deeply looking for is some leftover remnants of the sign that God himself is alive and is present or was or is somewhere. I think it's true of our culture that many people say, I am not religious. I don't know that organized religious thing. I don't understand it. But I am spiritual. And I think what they mean if you're charitable is that they're searching. They think there is something more to life than what they can find on the surface. The Apostle Paul, who we read his letter to a little church like ours that he founded in a town called Colossae, Paul himself was a treasure hunter too. He was searching for the place of God's presence. And here's what he said in one of his typical long run-on sentences to the Colossians. It was read to you earlier. I'm just going to say it slower. I became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship that came from God. So God gave him this responsibility to be a steward, a servant. This was given to me for your sake. And here's what it is to make the word of God fully known And that word of God that I'm making fully known is a mystery. It's a mystery that's been hidden for generations. It's a treasure. But now we know where it is. And we have the map. And my job is to reveal it to you, the saints, those who've been given access to the sanctuary. And here is the mystery. Here is the clue to it all. Here's what we're searching for. Christ himself in you. Christ in you. He says this is our hope for glory, for abundance, for flourishing, for happiness, for joy, for contentment, for a crop, a fruit, a harvest of fruit and righteousness. It is Christ in you. And so him we proclaim. We teach everyone with all wisdom. We're trying to present everyone mature, grown up in Christ. And for this I toil. I struggle with all his energy. Not my energy. I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, this is the work we can do. Struggling with all His energy, if you find yourself worn out this morning or hopeless. His energy that he works within us. This is the treasure hunt of a lifetime. Christianity, in its truest essence, would proclaim that this is the treasure that the world is and has lost and can be given again. Christ in you. I want to do a little bit of extended application of this thought for a few moments. First, just thinking about yourselves as individuals and remembering that you're here this morning, you're participating in this ministry of this worship service. 
Hopefully after the service, you'll stick around and go to the lawn and you'll hear about other ways to connect and things you can be involved in and activities and social events and service projects. Even if you don't want to be a part of those, this is a great opportunity to walk around the tables and ask people their name and ask them why they got involved and what they're excited about and just to hear what the church will be doing as we get to know one another. So I encourage you to do that. But think about this first. Christ in you, all of this is for this purpose. Underneath the surface, deep in our th- deep down, in and even beneath our thoughts and motivations, what goes on or doesn't go on in the secret places of your hearts and minds, it will affect others. This is one of the secrets of this truth and this mystery. What seems to you to be invisible, your actual deepest motivations and longings and desires that give fruit on the surface to what you do and what people see, this affects others. It changes the world because we are interconnected. And this sounds crazy to Western individualists. It makes more sense in sort of more indigenous cultures or tribal cultures. But it is very true. Hopefully going through a pandemic will help you realize that we are interconnected in ways we never understood in our brokenness and in our beauty. Jesus, in his most famous sermon, put it this way. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, what you look at, what you treasure in your heart, what you spend your time desiring, these are the roots of your heart. And all of your behavior and so-called feelings and thoughts are the fruits that come from what's going on beneath the surface. And that's why he says to people, and he's actually talking about religious, organized religion at this point as he's trying to find people who are actually willing to go deep, actually willing to get to their heart and to get to the heart of God beneath all of the activity. He talks about how to know if this church or that church or this group or that people or those folks or these folks. He says, you will know them. You'll know the real ones because you'll recognize their fruit. Does anyone gather grapes from a thorn bush? No. Or figs from thistles? No. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. The fruit of our lives, the surface ecosystem, always starts in the heart, down where the seeds are, where the roots are, under the earth. And so I want to tell you that at their best and deepest longing, our ministries this fall are meant simply to help you cultivate your own heart in this strange season that we live in. Cultivate is a word from Genesis. is what Adam and Eve were told to do in God's good garden that he had planted and set them in. He was a gardener, and they were to cultivate with him this fruit And even from the beginning, he gave them words to follow and instructions on how to be in good and deep, vital connection with him. And so they were cultivating not just actual plants, although that, but their own hearts, their own relationships. They were to stay connected to God and to one another and to this earth. And so we hope that this fall you'll have time to go beneath the surface, that our ministries will help you get deeper to where the most important and generative things live. See, the questions that we often fret about, which apartment am I going to live in? What job am I going to get? How do I understand my self-identity? Who are my crowd and my tribe? These are mostly surface things. 
which is not to say they're unimportant. This whole world is meant to be cultivated. We're to cultivate the surface as well. We're to find things and to prune it and to help it grow and to tear out bad fruit, to get rid of it, to take systemic racism and chop it over and over again for decades and decades together, for example. And yet, if you want less thorn bushes and thistles and more figs and grapes, the real work is to get down beneath the surface and to cultivate our hearts. To find a dry and rocky patch that needs to be busted up and fertilized and watered, or here and there, perhaps a potentially rich section of soil where you've simply failed to plant seeds. When we dig down, we will find things that are preventing us from flourishing. You can't ever get rid of these things simply by moving things around on the surface. You have to go down deep to find what your triggers are and why. What your default patterns and programs for happiness are and why. You have to know them and be vigilant with them just as a gardener knows every form of weed and bug and inch of his farm. But here is the really good news. When you go digging beneath the surface for the roots of your disorder... And your pain on the surface, you will also find more than you could ever have imagined looking or asking for. Here's Jesus again in our gospel text, just a piece of it. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Not ultimately you and me. The Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine, He is full of life, His sap is vital. He is bearing fruit, and so he says, you now, your job, your work of cultivation is to abide in me, to rest in me, to be connected to me, to take the sap of my life into yourself. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Just as a branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is how my father is glorified, what gives him glory. It's when you bear much fruit. When you have an abundant harvest. And when you do bear fruit, it proves that you are my disciples. This is what a watching world needs and hungers for and wants to be satiated with, is to see that there is a living treasure of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that we can be attached to him, connected to him, abide in him, and bear much fruit. You go deep down looking for weeds or perhaps old appliances, maybe some soft spots for new seeds, and what you find there mysteriously miraculously, is beneath the surface of life in you at the deepest place, hidden in the center, is actually God himself waiting, longing, living, transforming. And then you can realize that the work of building your life is not your work alone the hidden in the deepest places of your heart and life and desires and of who you are, beneath all the bramble and the fruit plants, all of it, the good and the bad and the ugly, there Jesus dwells. He has given you his spirit within you. 
He wants to replace your fears and your wreckage and all of your blockades to him with himself, his humility and forgiveness of all wrongs and healing of all relationships in place of your anger. He wants to dig up these things to put new things in their place. His unmerited praise planted in place of our ambition for acceptance and applause. His calm and unshakable rule in place of your shoddy and inconsistent control. His compassion and kindness in place of your sadness. His hope-filled and dynamic purpose instead of your numbness. His love in place of your fear. The amazing news that Paul was proclaiming, I have this treasure map. You are the ark. You don't have to go searching in Ethiopia or Babylon to find it. You are potentially the ark of God. The commandments of love are written on your heart. The voice and presence of God are before your eyes and in your ears. The manna of life is inside you. He knocks at the door. Simply open it and he will come and dine with you. The glory of his presence lights up your life and illuminates the world. Christ is in you. This is your hope for glory, for treasure, for flourishing, for fruitfulness. Search for him. If you search, he says, you will find. Ask, it will be given. Knock, and it will be open. If you ask, I will give the Holy Spirit to you. Jesus says verbatim. You are Christ's treasure, his temple, and his dwelling place. He is buried within you by the power of his spirit, and he loves to give you good things. New seeds, new life, gardening to bear fruit. And here's the trick now of the sermon. Everything I just told you is true, but the passages we read are all in second person plural. Of course, Paul talks about his ministry and cultivating and working with God and bearing fruit. And he says, you know, this is mystery. God is working his energy. He's working in me. So we know it's individual as well. But when he writes to the Colossians, when Jesus talks to you and he says, abide in me, all of you, it is second person plural. You Southerners, it is y'all, which is the best reason to have the word y'all because we don't have a second person plural in English. Christ in you all, use guys. Christ is in you. That's the mystery. That's our hope for glory. Not just you on an individual journey, but us together as his people, a new temple gathered together brick by brick for life, for flourishing, for satisfaction. And so this fall, just as a teaser, this is what we're doing for the next few months until Advent. We are going to talk about the type of church we want to be. But what we're not going to talk about is maybe we've talked about it this way in the past. Our values. These are our church's values. You know, we can switch at any time. Or these are our church's goals and our missions. We're going to plant 25 churches in 20 years. Or we're going to take this building and fix it all up. Or whatever it may be. No, I want to talk about virtues. It's kind of a religious and old-fashioned word. But virtues. These things that have to be slowly cultivated. Just like a crop. It depends on a lot of factors and good work and care. It depends on life coming in to build new things. And so we want to talk about our church's virtues this fall, that all of the things you're about to go and go to the fair and look at, underneath busyness as usual, underneath just a return to the old days, we're not trying to be a movement or bright lights or have a cool reputation. We are trying to go beneath the surface. We want to become a church 
of deep and abiding fruit, of flourishing. We want to be able to say to people, whether you are here with us in New York City and are part of our community for three years or for 30, Resurrection Brooklyn hopes to be, yes, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational mission church in central Brooklyn, yes, but we expect God, because it is the mystery that we proclaim, we expect God to be here, and if we will let him work his energy within us at our deepest places as a community and as individuals, then he will create virtues. He will make us a fruitful church. And the three virtues that I want us to consider, that we can do it at all times and all places, here with a building or without a building, are to be a people of welcome, worship, and witness. Now, this is just a teaser for one more minute. We're going to spend the next couple months considering the virtue of welcome, and then the virtue of worship, and then the virtue of witness. But I want you to hear it this way. The virtue of welcome. In a time of deep division, we want to seek to welcome all people into God's love in Christ and into his family. Specifically, we hope to welcome those not yet following Jesus and people across every division that the world can think up. We want to have the virtue of worship in a time of disintegration and fractured lives where we don't know the meaning. We seek to worship the God of love in the unity of our whole beings and in the integration of our whole lives. We hope to help one another and our neighbors live more balanced and fruitful lives of flourishing centered on the love and worship of Jesus. And witness, the virtue of witness in a time of despair. We seek to witness in word and deed to the ongoing work of God and his holistic kingdom of truth, goodness, beauty, and love, both in our common life like this morning and in our community. In a city where we often strive to have others witness our work, our glory, primarily in our careers, we hope to witness together to God's ongoing work of holistic redemption and reconciliation in New York City and the world. And Jesus says, by this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is how the world will know God is alive and available and in us. This is what it means to be a hardworking, virtuous, fruitful church. And so, by God's grace and power and life, let's get to work with God, with all the energy that he so powerfully works within us. I pray that he will give us this grace, and I want to close with a prayer from St. Francis. Lord, make us instruments of your shalom. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Lord, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying like a seed that we are born to eternal life. Amen.